Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction simulcast on Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. Won't be a lot of time to, to take get on the in on the hotline today. Now is a good time. We've got um scheduled Stevie P at 915. Uh at 10 o'clock. We plan on because we normally talk to Nick on Friday, and we're not going to have a show on Good Friday tomorrow. If it was a normal week, we might just, you know, oh well. But this is like the week. <laughs> this is it. So we, you know, hopefully we can um, get Nick in today at ten. At ten fifteen, we'll be talking with UL head football coach Mike Desermo, and then at ten thirty-five. We'll get caught up again on our on the road to the Kentucky Derby with our friend, Mr. Tom. All right, so the 10 o'clock hour's book, if you would like to get in other than the the, the, set, the next segment with Stevie P, the 9 o'clock hour is the time to get in if you would like to do so about anything going on. We t- Rockefeller called yesterday, and I tried to explain to him that the Clippers own the Lakers. And, you know, I don't know how much I I agree with Rockefeller in that a lot of that ownership, the Lakers were not very good. They're better now, but they're still not, you know, really good. And, you know, the Clippers just own the Lakers just the way it is right now. I don't think it's going to be that way forever. I mean, very little in sports is, is one way forever. But um, the Clippers just just own the Lakers. When I started paying attention to the Pels game last night, they were down 17 at the half. That sounds familiar. It seemed like they were up 17 at the half against the Warriors. And then, I, you know, I kept looking on my phone and seeing the score. And we were watching, uh, I don't know. One of the crime shows we watch. We mostly watch crime shows. But anyway, we were watching, and I would look at my phone, and then I would and then look at my phone, and every once in a while, they kept getting closer and closer. And all of a sudden, every once in a while when I'm doing that, it'll get stuck on a certain time, and I got to hit the refresh shawls, and then it'll – and all of a sudden, I refresh, and they were up four. I'm like, whoa, what happened here? It was uh, – it was – it happened quickly. But um, nice win – do do you interpret from that that the Grizzlies are not going to tank or and tank is a strong word? You mean not give effort in the last not couple games? in the last couple games? I thought they played. I thought the Grizzlies played hard. I thought the Pelicans just shot like Georgia Southern in the first half at the Cajun Dome for the whole game, or or at least the second half. I mean, yeah. they made everything. Herb Jones, who's not a great three point shooter, was like five for seven. Yeah, I saw he was making shots. Yeah. Um, Trey Murphy, who is a good three point shooter, was on. CJ made some shots. You know, Brandon Ingram was not very good in the first half. So it was kind of 
impressive that they overcame it. Now they were down at half when he wasn't playing well. But then they just, they just made everything. And so I don't know if it was as much. I think Memphis played hard and played to win the game. But um, when you make shots like that, that's that's how you get back into a game. You're down 17, and they did so. Then they then they tried to blow it at the end. I mean, it was kind of a crazy – look, Herb Jones fouled Dylan Brooks on a three. They were up by five with yeah, five seconds Yeah, it's hard when left. you're following on – the inner regulation, I'm like, what's going so, on? It's hard to know yeah, when you're not so, watching the game. They were up by, uh, was it five? or Actually, I think it was six. They were up by six with uh, essentially five seconds left. Memphis looks like they're out of it. Um, they go down, and, and it was kind of a a possession where the Pelicans, I mean, I'm saying just don't foul. That's all you have to do is not foul. Uh, it was six. And they had an offensive they kick foul it to the corner. On, on, on Ingram. Well, that's uh, that. this is before that. They kick it to the corner, and Dylan Brooks shoots a three, and Herb Jones fouls him. He gets an and one on a three. So then he intentionally misses the free throw, which the broadcast was saying there's really no reason to intentionally miss it. They had they had five seconds. They could have made the shot and then tried to. So the Pelicans then inbound from the side, and Brandon Ingram pushes off. He get an offensive foul. Uh, Memphis ends up going down. The Pelicans foul him so that they can't take a three. He makes the first free throw, misses the second one intentionally. Offensive rebound for Memphis. They get fouled, make two free throws, and we got overtime. So. A six it was point pretty lead. similar to that Celtic Sixer finish. It was that a six-point lead with 4.7 seconds left that the Pelicans ended up having to go to overtime. And then, and you know, I'm starting to think, it's one of those things, like, I don't know if the data would back it up. I always feel like when it's, your thought would be if a team, like, forces overtime like that, crazy, oh, how do we score six points in ten seconds? You'd think they would have the momentum heading to overtime. I'm feeling like more times than not, the team that, that blew the big lead somehow locks in and wins overtime in those situations because the Pelicans came out and just made, again, as they did in the fourth quarter, they just made everything in overtime and it wasn't even close. So you give up a six-point lead in five seconds, you think that's going to be demoralizing, but then they didn't even blink. and they Kind of like giving up a six-run lead in the ninth inning. Yeah, and scoring in the bottom. It it, it was just weird because you just think, okay, Memphis. all these meltdowns lately? I don't know, and maybe it's that Memphis exerted so much energy to, but it it wasn't like Memphis had this crazy, it was five seconds. It wasn't like they came back over the course of the last two minutes. They just, they made a crazy three and got fouled, and then got an offensive rebound and went to overtime. But all is forgiven. The Pelicans, I think Coach Willie Green was probably happier than Coach Deggs was after the game, um, just given how important the win was for the Pels. But now you got to – now the, 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 the bad thing is the Clippers winning last night actually hurt them because the Pelicans had the tiebreaker over the Clippers. So if the Lakers would have beaten the Clippers, you'd have had a really good chance to jump them for the seventh spot. Now, the Pelicans, there's a scenario in which they went out and they're still stuck at number eight, which would be, you know, it's not the worst case because, again, you don't have to play the extra play-in game, but you'd be on the road possibly traveling to the Lakers in that game. So it wasn't the ideal situation, but if you win both of these games, you have a decent chance that somebody's going to lose a game um, because the good thing is you have a tiebreaker with everyone except the Lakers. So there's a chance for them to move up. The Knicks were missing three key pieces last night, if I remember. Yeah, and somehow they – so the Knicks and the Pelicans were both – both had three guys score over 30 points. It was like the first time in NBA history that happens. And it was was Emmanuel quickly. It was guys that don't even play that much for the Knicks. But they have pretty good depth this year. They do. And that's – What's the deal with that? I don't know. But Julius Randle's not going to play against the Pelicans. And, you know, yeah, a couple of those other guys, it's going to be up in the air. So – you got an opportunity, and the Knicks now officially have nothing to gain from winning. So that that is settled. They are locked into where they are. So, by the way, for those of you who don't know, Grimes for the Knicks. Yeah, his dad played for the Cajuns. Yeah, Marshall Grimes. I How remember about that. him. Yes. And so, with all that being said, 
you're in a situation where if you win both games, now it's, there's a very likely situation, which I was explaining on RP3, that the Knicks games end not going to end up mattering because if if the Lakers and and Grizz, uh, the, if the Lakers, Warriors, and Clippers all win out, which again, maybe that's Lakers not going to happen. Lakers are not winning out. Well, they don't play anybody. It though. doesn't matter. Okay, they're, I don't think they're well, winning out. Well, well, they've only got two games left. But either Who way, do they play. Uh, the they jazz? play the Jazz in one game, and I think it's I want to say San Antonio. The Suns. Oh, it is Phoenix. How are they going to beat the Suns? But Sun? Phoenix, Phoenix is going to be locked into their spot as well. So I don't know if Durant, if they're going to, you know, with the injury concerns there, I don't know if they're going to play any of their guys. So anyway, my point is, if you, if none of the teams in front of you lose, even if you went out, you have nothing to gain. So what would then become very important is the game against Minnesota, because if you lose to the Timberwolves, they then gain the tiebreaker over you, and you could potentially fall down to nine. That's now your worst case scenario, is falling down to nine, and now you again, with the way the playing tournament is, you have to play that extra game, which is a huge deal. Because if you're eight, the difference between eight and nine is you can lose a game at eight and still have another chance. And if you go one and one in the playing tournament, you're in. Whereas if you're nine, you have to go two and zero, oh. and one of them will be on the road. So that's where I am with the Pels. You're you're if you win out, you're definitely eight. So then that way, hey, that's good. You only have the one playing. You just have to win one of your two playing games. If you lose one or the other, it's better oh, to wait, lose to the Knicks. What's the absolute best case scenario? That they go all the way up to five. If if you have a if that's you have still a, possible that is still possible because nobody's more than one game ahead of you. Golden State and the Clippers are both just one game ahead of you. But again, none of those teams play anyone who's going to have a significant amount to play for. That's the problem. But it's the NBA. But again, the Grizzlies didn't have anything to play for last night, and if the well, Bills don't shoot unbelievable, they would have won. Going into it, the Grizzlies technically still could have been caught by Sacramento. Sacramento lost last night, so that's why they now officially have nothing left. They st- it wasn't a ton, but they still could have theoretically dropped to three, so they had that going for them. But I- again, it's the NBA, and some of these guys who are going to play, if guys if teams do rest guys, are guys who are trying to earn contracts and jobs in the NBA, so it's not like they're not going to try, you know? So we'll see. So the Suns play both L.A. teams, so you think they're going to tank in both games? I don't think. Well, it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Durant and Chris Paul are going to play. If I had to guess, I haven't seen a report on that. I just, given how injury prone those guys, you know, I wouldn't say injury prone. Given how many injuries they've had to deal with, I don't know why they'd chance it. The only other logic would be maybe they don't think Durant's played enough to be back up to speed, so they want him to keep going. Yes. But I would think they're going to just sit him down. They know Durant's going to show up in the playoffs. All right, so we'll see how that uh, plays out. Cajun baseball plays tonight in Charleston, West Virginia. So we'll see. Man, that just sounds so weird. They're playing a baseball tonight in Charleston, West Virginia, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, The little MVP still own the Mariners. Um. The, there's one undefeated team left in Major League Baseball, and every year it's so funny. And and you know I'm gonna probably be kicking myself for not picking them to win the division. I picked them second. That's higher than I think most people picked them. Uh, but every you know I, I I remind everyone every year that the Rays are just smarter than everyone else. And we talked about how. Yeah, they had a bad year last year. They scored 200 fewer runs than they did the previous season, and they still made the playoffs because why? Because they're smarter than everyone else. Uh, and here they are, 6-0. and Now, again, it's six games out of 162. I get it. But there's no way they were going to score that, that 
fewer runs. And theoretically, they have deeper pitching than they had last year. Um, They're the only team I didn't give serious thought to to win the AL East. And I same with you. I had that thought in my head. Why am I not thinking about the Rays? They're going to be there. It was It's how I felt about the A's for a long time. Now, eventually, it caught up with them, and they kind of just right. decided to tear it down. But every year, they're there. They just, they just you know, they're, they're unbelievable. Again, they're smarter than everyone else. They just are. Um, and so we'll um, – it's, it's very early, but I'm just glad the Astros uh, – by the way, uh, Ren McCormick yesterday had a double, ground rule double, a home run – and, you know, uh, the, the whole I, – I mean, I don't even know why we're having to discuss this. He should be the everyday center fielder for the Astros. I mean, it's not even close. When he's going to be. That's why I, I didn't understand. I don't understand the whole – But I just didn't understand the freak out about Myers. Just because no one wants the, him on the team. <laughs> yeah, but I guess I get that. They don't even want him in the organization, much less starting games one, two, and three. But he's a guy that can bring you something. Even bring though he can't what? hit, he's a decent defender and he's a good runner. I mean, I... He's a decent defender. That's what I said. No, that's <laughs> not good. Decent is not good when you're talking about defense. Well, I think he's a better overall player right now than Corey Jolks, and that was kind of your other option, and now they're both on the roster because of Brantley being hurt. So yeah, Brantley needs to get back. All right, let's do this. We'll take a timeout. We'll shift gears. Let's discuss some of those subjects, perhaps, with our friend Stevie P next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us Mr. Stevie P. How are you, sir? Oh, Cat, I'm doing good. What about you? Well, I'm doing better. The Astros avoid the sweep. My, my, my goal, especially right now, is just avoid sweep so when you get hot, you can really make hay. That's my goal. Well, that, yeah, that's what you do. I mean, the whole idea of, you know, when I say that they won – in baseball terms, you're talking about winning a series. I don't like four-game series. I like three-game series. You want to win the series there, and you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the better teams avoid the long losing streaks, and the way that you do that is to at least capture one game in the series. Splits are uh, – or, I'm sorry, uh, sweeps are very bad. Uh, absolutely. All right, I'm going to throw three scenarios at you. Tell Uh-oh. me, in your mind, the most likely and the most unlikely. Lamar Jackson will not ever play again for the Ravens. Mac Jones will not be with the Patriots in the fall. And Aaron Rodgers will not be with the Jets in the fall. Uh, no. Uh, the, the, the most likely is uh, Lamar Jackson. I just can't see him returning to the, uh, to the Ravens. I just think that's a fractured relationship right now. Even if they would go ahead and and give him more guaranteed money, I mean, supposedly they offered him 175 million. 
of guaranteed money at one time, and now that's dropped a little bit. Even if they go back to up to $175 million, I just think that the relationship is far too fractured. I think second on the list is Mac Jones. Um, uh, I mean, I could see him elsewhere, uh, but he, he – I mean, what, what are the Patriots going to do? I mean, I, I know that they've given a, an opportunity for the backup quarterback to win the job, and he just might. First off, i got to take up a little bit for Mac Jones. Again, over bad. Bill Belichick is a Hall of Fame coach, and he deserves a lot of the love that he gets. But uh, people go crazy with that stuff sometimes. I mean, you know, Bill Belichick at Cleveland, what he coached five years, he had one winning season. He comes to the Patriots and had the cards in his favor with Tom Brady as a starting quarterback. What has he done to help Mac Jones? He hired Mike Patricia last year, who is a defensive coordinator now as his offensive coordinator. And Jones was so messed up. He decided to go back to his college coaches for help. I mean, you know, how is that? How is that a sound decision? So, is Mike Jones his great quarterback? I don't think so. But I also think that he was not helped out by his head coach. I think that he'll be the. I think he'll be with the Patriots, but I, I have some doubt there. I think the the, the least likely is uh, uh, is Aaron Rodgers. I think that Rodgers. You know, it, it, it might take a while to play out, but he's going to be with the Jets. He's the Jets' start quarterback. All right. How about Lamar Jackson is the quarterback of the Patriots? Don't see it. I, I, I just uh, – I, I mean, it's possible. I just uh, – I, I, I don't see it quite quite yet. I, I, I just don't think that the Ravens – uh, because I think it's a personal thing, too. They could talk about all business if they want to, but I think it's a personal thing, too. I don't think they're going to trade him to anybody in the EFC, but that's just me. Man, I don't know if you saw any of the that press conference yesterday. Harbaugh looked like a deer yeah. in headlights. I mean, they look awful up there. Yeah, and, and that's what happens when things turns personal. you know. And Now, I, I, I could see the Ravens drafting a quarterback, you know, your boy Hendon Hooker was, what, 42 years old? You know, I mean, I don't know why he loved 42-year-old quarterback so much, but I could see them t- taking him and maybe going to, uh, uh, you know, they said yesterday that, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna take the best player on their board, and right now they have a quarterback in their top 31. Well, that sounds nice, but how many times have they said they have a quarterback in their top 31? Well, I, I would they think they have four quarterbacks in their top 31 probably. No, well, yeah, no. But what I'm saying is, they've had quarterbacks in their top 31 before. Well, yes, and they're yeah. not going to draft them, right? That's just so. a PC talk. That 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 answer, that response. People are blowing that up way too much. They're making too much of that. All right. So, I first of all, let me ask you this: Do you think one Nolan Smith has a chance to be there when the Saints pick? And two, if he's there, do you think they take him? Do you buy that they've changed? The Saints have changed their mentality and their M.O. about what they want out of their edge rushers. Uh, yeah, I think that – I think yes on both terms. I, I, I think they are serious about it. And I think that they I think that they would take him. Uh, I think that's a – I actually think that's a need for him. And, and you know, I, I'm not one that, uh, you know, is so big on, on, on drafting on need. I know that there's a time that you have to, but – I still think that you take kind of the best player on the uh, on the board. You know, kind of. You know, I, I say that 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 you never draft a need. You go back to 1981, and I mention this a lot because 
you know, people still rip on the Saints, and it, it drives me crazy. Oh, well, you know, 1981, and, and, and Lawrence Taylor's on the board, and, and the Saints took George Rogers. Well, okay, we knew that Bum Phillips was going to take George Rogers. I mean, he had Earl Campbell. You know, he, he ran him to death in, in, uh, in Houston. And was it really that bad of a pick? I mean, I talk about the large sample size all the time. Was, was Lawrence Taylor the best player in the draft? Yes. But you're not just drafting to have the best player in the draft. You're drafting to have the best draft, period. And my question to some of these people is, okay, no doubt, Lawrence Taylor had a better career than George Rogers. There's no doubt. But the Saints took a pretty good linebacker in the second round, Ricky Jackson, who's in the Hall of Fame. So my question is, would you rather George Rogers, who still holds the Saints' single-season rushing record with 1,674 yards, and a Hall of Famer, and Ricky Jackson, or would you rather Lawrence Taylor and maybe David Hughes, who was taken in the second round that year, who had less than a thousand career rushing yards? But my point is, even if you say, "Well, I, I still would have took Lawrence Taylor," all of a sudden it looks a lot closer now, doesn't it? But no, absolutely. I think that, no, the '81 yeah, draft is still the best draft in in, in history uh, because of the depth of it. So let me ask you this: How do you think Buddy D would have pronounced Adi Tamwa? Uh, Addy Bore. <laughs> he would have said, he would have called him Attaboy or something like that. <laughs> because that would have been true. But you did a very good job because uh, uh, I'm normally good at pronunciations like that, and I still can't do it, Cat. Okay, now I really think there's a very good chance they're going to draft him. Oh, I think so too, and, and 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 that would be a guy that I would be all for. I really think. That in this day and age, obviously, the, the, the one of the whole keys to get pressure on the passer, sacks overrated, hurries aren't, pressure isn't. So I have no problem with uh, with them taking an edge pressure, and I would have no problem with them taking, you know, an offensive, a defensive uh, a, a, a lineman. There's not a whole lot of positions that, I mean, other than running back, which they need, but you can't take one in the first round. And quarterback, I'm kind of okay with. You pass it on Bajon Robinson? <laughs> yes. This cat is passing on Bajan Robinson. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you fall in love with guys, cat. I mean. <laughs> okay, now, okay. Here, here's my comeback to the. I understand that you can win. Um, with, with, with you know, look at the two Super Bowl teams. Neither one of them had like first round running backs. But here's the pro: if you draft a running back, you're not putting a lot of money because you don't pay the first rounders that much money, theoretically speaking. So you you actually get a cheap star running back or relatively cheap star running back for five years. Then if you don't want to pay him the, the mega money, then you just trade him or release him. Well, that's a good point. That 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 is a good point. And Robinson's a guy that a lot of people just love. You know, I mean, going to be this you know stud running back, you know, right off the bat. And yeah, you may maybe you drop that guy, put him on a rookie contract, and uh, you know, in, you know, five years down the road he's gone. I just think that the NFL's just at a, at a different level right now. I mean, it, it's all about spreading the field, throwing the football, and and I just think that 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 that's not a smart pick in the first round so no I, I i i love robinson you know if this was you go back to the george rogers days if this was 1981 i would be all for maybe, maybe picking him number one but no I, I can't i can't take uh i can't take him in the first round i just can't all right as a mavericks fan 
Is uh, it the, is it the wrong decision to keep the head coach and to keep uh, Kyrie Irving? Well, I'm not a hundred percent certain that they're going to keep Jason Kidd. I mean, that's 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 nice for for Mark Cuban to say. Of course, he said yesterday. Uh, so he said this is on me, and you know we didn't understand how the game was changing and everything. What you know, what was that? <laughs> I, I, I mean, really, what, what 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 was that? I mean, he's basically saying, okay, I, I am the GM and I run the team. I mean, really, what was that? I'm not 100% certain that Jason Kidd is going to be back. But to answer your question, uh, I was not in favor of the Mavericks hiring him a couple of years ago. And I told people when they made the Western Conference Finals last year, okay, let's wait for the large sample size to play out because he had a good, you know, uh, one, two-year run in Milwaukee and then it all came crumbling down. I just think that the, the way that he handles a game and the substitutions, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. So uh, I, I, I'm not 100% certain that he's coming back, but if he does come back, it's the wrong decision. In terms of Kyrie Irving, I think that you almost have to bring him back because if you lose him for nothing, you gave up Dorian Finney-Smith, you gave up Spencer Dinwiddie, you gave up draft choices, plus you lost – Jalen Brunson, the free agency last year, and now you're going to lose Kyrie Irving for nothing? Now, I'm not for giving him a five-year max contract, but I think he has to come back. Hopefully they could you know, cure their defensive woes by signing a free agent or making a trade of some sort. But you know, I, uh, I almost think that, they, that they're backed in a corner right now and they have no choice but to bring back Kyrie. And then your boy Mark Cuban is, is blaming Jalen Brunson's dad. Did that cat fall on his head? Um, it's like he comes out with, some, and I take up for Mark Cuban a lot with, with some of the because I do think he's passionate and I do think that he's an owner that cares. But some of the things that he said yesterday, I'm like, "Oh, God, what are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more question on the way out. What are the what likelihood or what percentage chance would you give it that the Saints will pick Osiris Torrance in the second round? You know, obviously being a Cajun guy and following Osiris a little bit, obviously before he left, I, I would be I would be for it because I always thought that he had you know really great skills. I, I really would. And again, uh, I, I don't think that you could ever go wrong with an uh, with an offensive lineman. So I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here, but uh, I, I think I would be all for it. I really would. And, and again, guard is – it's not center, but guards and centers have dropped before that had first-round grades. So I, I think it's – it would not shock me if he gets picked in the first round, but it also wouldn't shock me if he lasted the second round. That, 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 that didn't even cross my mind, really, until you just brought it up. I mean, the position has, but not necessarily the player. I mean, he's massive. He's got good offensive – I mean, he's good. he has a good athletic set. So no, I would, I, I would, I, I would kind of be all for it. I really would. All right, we'll see what happens between now and next, and then you know who knows, your Mavericks might be in the playoffs. <laughs> that would well, be funny. You know, we talk about this all the time, and I'm not going to go on a big spiel about it. But some of these Maverick fans that that, that want them to get in the lottery, oh, let's tank and get in the lottery. You know me, I never go for that. I'm always, you oh. know, you want to win, you always want to win. The, the, you, you never tank because ultimately it'll come back to bite you. All right. I agree. Thank you for your time, sir. Have a nice holiday weekend. All right. And just remember, always remember, Peter Cottontail is very underrated. So uh, just always remember that. But it's been your pleasure. All right. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 337-706-0111-337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, it is Thursday, but it's kind of like a Friday because some of the series, including LSU and South Carolina, begin tonight, weather permitting. And the Cajuns open up their Sunbelt Series at Marshall in Charleston, West Virginia, weather permitting, today as well. There's also no show tomorrow. And so it kind of feels a little bit more like a Friday. Today, by the way, is three weeks from the NFL draft. The uh, the three-week countdown starts today. So we're 21 days from the NFL draft. That is close. That is dangerously close. And I still look at mock drafts, and some of them have Miles Murphy, defensive end from Clemson, going in the top 10, And some of them have him going in the late 20s. I saw one yesterday where Brian Brzee, the defensive tackle from Clemson, was going in the second round. So there's still like a pretty good consensus on about, I don't know, I would just guess around 22, 23, 24. And then there's a, another group of probably about 15 or 16 that it's just a big difference of opinion on. By the way, the longer this goes on, does it mean I'm right or wrong? Does it mean anything in terms of what, what reality is going to show in the future? But the longer that I get, the less I'm enamored with the second coming of Aaron Donald. Like, A month ago, I'd have probably said, I'm okay with that. And right now, I'm like, something tells me that there's something about that that's not going to work out. Kalijah Cansey. I I, I don't think, early on, you were seeing a lot of Kalijah Canseys. I still, going to the Saints, I still see it every once in a while. But um, now I'm thinking, no. I'm thinking, let's not do that. The other guy that's interesting to me is his Van Ness, a defensive end from Iowa. Like, a lot of people have that guy going in the top 10. I just I just don't know what to think. It's, it's a scary deal because I've seen some of these draft experts rank the positions and – that say that the worst position in this draft is linebacker. 
Okay, so let's say you buy that. If it's the worst position, do you pick it in the first round thinking, well, if I'm going to get, if I need one, I better get it in the first round because there's no depth or nobody, or they wouldn't be ranking it as the worst position. Or do these, are these guys just looking good because it's such a, it's such a bad class this year in that position that they're not really first round picks. They're like, they're like quarterbacks. They just are the best of the linebacker group. And so you're picking a second or third round talent in the first round. So that, that, that kind of scares me, the whole picking a linebacker thing, whether it's Jack Campbell or Vanessa, which are different skill sets. Uh, uh, Vanessa is more of a of an edge rusher, I guess. But but true linebackers, you know, the, you got Sanders from Arkansas and Campbell. I don't I don't know what to think of some of these guys. I, I um, it is a risky, scary proposition, and that's why like the Saints. I just don't know if they're going to I, – I, I would rather they not take a risky pick. Now, probably in their mind, Peyton Turner was not a risky pick. Probably in their mind, Cesar Ruiz was not a risky pick. But uh, they, uh, they, I, I really need a guy that's going to contribute. I think Peyton Turner – I think they thought it was – I think they knew it was a risky pick. Because they knew the guy that they drafted wasn't ready to step on the field and play. I think anytime you do that, that's risky. But how can you take another Ricky Pitt? Because obviously, Davenport was risky. And Turner was risky, if you buy that. Like, how can you take another risky pick right now? I can't afford risky right now. I need a guy that's going to contribute. That's why if they pick an Osiris Torrance... I'm not going to be upset because that's the safe pick. Well, it's the safest. It has the best chance of being the safest pick. Um, I don't really want to tie it in, even though it's a yeah. good tight end class, just because they, they take too long to, to develop. Yeah, it's. I always am hesitant on the how good of the class is this class type of things because, I mean, I get you're comparing maybe measurables in production from previous years at the position of other guys, but, like, it's just such an unknown science to me. It's like I don't know if that would make me hesitant to take a linebacker just because a couple of guys think it's a weak linebacker class. If you still like your guy, you only need one of them to work out. That's You don't need all the linebackers in the draft class to be good. You just need the guy you take to be good. So if you still feel that, if you have a grade that is – higher or as high as you know your typical linebackers that you like then I don't think there's any inherent risk involved because other people think that there's a weak overall class if they pick a linebacker in the first round what what will your first reaction be it just depends who it is because it's Nolan Smith he's technically what is he outside linebacker I guess he's listed as edge yeah I guess I don't know somehow I think most of us think as edge rushers they are linebackers most of them some of them are defensive ends but I mean, I guess it's a semantical yeah. thing, what you call him. Right. But, like, this guy Jack Campbell's like Werner. He's like a Werner-type linebacker. He's not really an edge rush. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't, I wouldn't mind it because it's a position that you lost a guy and 
it's one of the few positions they haven't really addressed yet in the offseason, right? They haven't really brought anybody in, so I wouldn't be crushed, no. I wonder what they really think of the cat from App State, and, I mean, we won't know. But yeah, and what he, he got missed, hurt. They liked him early he missed, on, and he got hurt. He missed almost all of last year, right? Yes. So, so they probably they probably don't know either yet what they really have there. I thought he was a good player. I don't know. Now, certainly, he felt like he could be a Caden Ellis type player. I mean, he was that good at App State. But again, if he's is he going to be one hundred percent coming off the injury as well? There's a lot of different factors involved with that. So, I don't know if you can count on him coming into the season. Three more weeks of this, just uncertainty and. I don't know. To me, in my guessing process, the the options are less than they were three weeks ago. We'll see where we are two weeks from now. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote. And footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. If you would like to get in, now's a good time to do so. 706 0111. 706 0111. One one again. It's Thursday, but it's really like a Friday. We've got Cajuns on the road in, at Marshall. Five o'clock today, our time. Five o'clock tomorrow noon on Saturday. LSU is at South Carolina. Seven. I mean, six o'clock tonight. Six o'clock tomorrow. Eleven a.m. on Saturday. And McNeese is the only one of the teams. Our friends from Lake Charles. They're hosting Corpus Christi and. They um they need a win because last weekend was kind of a little disconcerting, kind of like it was the last four or five games have been pretty disconcerting for the Cajuns as well in baseball. And so uh, they play 6 o'clock tonight scheduled. All of this is obviously weather permitting, 6 o'clock tomorrow and 1 o'clock on Saturday. So uh, lots of baseball weather permitting this weekend. And, uh, you know, the more, you know, after – Hearing Koki yesterday, I kind of would have thought Tennessee was maybe a little better, but maybe, maybe I was jumping the gun on that. So we'll see how good South Carolina does. Um, you know, sometimes that whole oh, they didn't play a tough schedule kind of plays itself out, and sometimes it means nothing. So we'll see. Oh, we'll start to see that tonight, game one in Columbia. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kev, Joey. Howdy, sir. You ready for Joey's mock draft 1.0, first three rounds? You talking about for the Saints? Yeah. Okay. I can't worry about other teams. I got enough worrying about the Saints. You think I'm going to worry about 31 other teams? Well, a couple of them obviously will impact the Saints. True. This is true. And, again, I love Stevie P, but if he don't take – Robinson, if he's down there at 29, I'm sorry. The boy needs to go check into a mental hospital. But uh, 
he ain't going to be there. I'm, I've, I've said defensive tackle all along at one, but I've switched. I'm eyeballing Branch out of Alabama as our first pick in the draft. The best Man, you're hitting me below draft, the belt. Now, why are you hitting me below do- the belt? Wait, say again? You hit me below the belt because I love safety. But the only problem with him is he's small. He's CD reborn, dude. And we pick him right ahead of where Philadelphia might have picked him, which would be payback for them taking the 10th pick. So uh, I just think he's a good fit in a Dennis Allen system. I think he's the best safety in the draft. And if he falls that far, I believe your attaboy that you've been talking about will be there in the second round for us at pick number 40. So you go Branch, you solidify the middle of the field, you take Branch at safety, who can cover, who he can literally play in a cornerback. He can play cornerback in a pinch, but he could be your nickel safety. He can play free safety if he has to. You take attaboy at defensive tackle, who's just a solid, nothing flashy, solid of the middle guy and then the third pick kevin we're going to go to Tulane and pick the running back out of Tulane, which i think would be a really good the only problem is everyone is saying that and again we have had some interesting situation scenarios of late where what everyone said actually happened with the saints it's been happening way more often the last two or three years than ever before that is true but everyone is saying that can it really happen And what? That's that the Saints are going to pick Spears in the third round. And now it may, and it would make sense, and I'd be all for it. I just, I mean, I, I, I just, I just wonder if that's really going to take place. That's that's right in the wheelhouse. My preference, personally, is Devin Ashane, uh, the the kid out of Texas A and M. I just don't think he'll make it all the way that far down. But uh, again, uh, this is a running back. The kid out of Tulane can pretty much do everything you need done it as well. So if they get those three guys, Kevin, I'll come on and kiss you on the head on air. That's my mock 1.0. Now, look, we got three more weeks, so we'll be at mock 38.6 in a few weeks. But that's the three guys I like right now. And all along, I thought defensive tackle. I just think a really good one will be there in round two. And we forget how high we're picking in round two because we got such a late first rounder. We forget we got a top 10 pick in the second round. So I think there'll be some really good players at the 40th pick for us uh, if we're just patient. I'm hoping they don't trade up and give away what I think is some pretty good draft capital after the first round. Well, I'm very glad you did what you did, even though my first reaction was you were, you know, you, you hit me in an uncomfortable spot there, but because you brought up a guy that we do need to discuss that we haven't really discussed yet. And again, I'm, I want to not get caught off guard. So thank you very much for that. I love this time of year, bro. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, sir. The pro, okay, look, again, I am. I'm, I've been claiming to be a safety tight end guy forever, for decades. Uh, I love the safety position, uh, underrated position. I love the tight end position, underrated position. And I do, like, I've been more interested in the guy, the safety from A&M maybe in the second round. Uh, Branch is a guy that I've seen hot being Projected as, you know, 15, 16. I've seen several people say the commanders are going to take them at 16. 
But again, he's, they, he's listed at six foot 195, which probably means he's like 5'11", 190. Like, we already have a small safety. We want another small safety? I don't know. But, I, no, I'm very glad he was brought up because he might be an option. Now, he's very smart. Everyone says he, he's, he's, he's like a coach on the field. He's listed at six foot one ninety, and I believe that's combine measurable. So I think those are pretty accurate. You would take him? I'd consider it, but it'd be tough for me to take a safety in the first round with the construction of this roster. All right, one hour down, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome. Uh, You know, one of the things about sports talk radio that I really like, you know, you got to prepare and preparation is valuable. But what I really like is when you get a curveball and it puts it sends you on a different tangent and it changes the way you're thinking potentially or at least you have to mull over whether you want to change your thinking i like that part and our friend joey just did that and so now i'm going to see how it impacted our our good friend mr nick fontenot how are you sir I'm, I'm I'm impacted. I'll put it that way. <laughs> okay, before we get to the Pels, what did I don't know if you heard Joey's call, but where where do you stand on a safety who's listed at six foot one ninety four, but they claim that his football IQ is through the roof? <laughs> what is football IQ? What is that? Well. I, I think he knows he, he he understands angles. He's a great leader, and I think in some positions, like you know, cornerback, it's probably not that important. But a safety, I think your football IQ is important at safety. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still, as far as the, in the as far as the Saints draft goes, like I still kind of, I'm still kind of in the same boat that I've been in the entire time, where it's just like I. Whoever they draft, I'm going to be okay with it. I, I, I really feel that way. I'm not just saying that or, or, or you know, blowing smoke, if you will. Like, I think unless they draft a quarterback, which I will be supremely upset with, other than that, I can make myself okay with anything. So Aaron Donald? You you, you, you'd be happy with Aaron Donald? Well, again, I don't want the Aaron Donald guy, but I can make myself okay with it. Yes. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Um, I don't know. Like, again, the, the only thing that scares me is Marcus May did better at the end last year, but he might be suspended. And, you know, Mo- Honey Badger was okay late, but he wasn't real good early. So I- I'd be okay with adding another safety to that mix. Yeah, I remember last week, Kevin, we had finished our conversation and you had kind of narrowed it down to certain positions and you were saying – well, I don't want him to take this, and I don't want him to take this. And, and I agree, there's some positions I don't want him to take. However, if they took those positions, I wouldn't be upset. Like, I remember the year they took Andres Pete. That made no sense to me. 
that they took that they took him. Like I don't think there would be a pick they would make that doesn't make sense. I might disagree with the pick or like something better, but anything they take right now, I think I could make it make sense. All right, where, where was your emotional level with the Pels prior to tip-off last night, and how much higher did it get once the game was over and you won? Last night was an unbelievable uh, roller coaster. It, you know, we've been saying that the last few weeks, how the Pelicans are a roller coaster. After the loss of the Kings, I was pretty much in, in a mindset of this season is, has, been, has been a lost season. We're kind of going to go into next season exactly where we went into this season where no answers, nothing has been answered. No, none of our questions have been answered. We don't know how Zion and B.I. and C.J. are going to work together. And, and all, everything that we were asking ourselves in the offseason this year, we're going to be asking ourselves the same question last year. And then they came out last night and just played flat and, and looked bad and, like, you didn't want to be there. And I was like, okay, it's officially over. And I actually kind of gave up on the game and – um, RP3 actually called me and we had a little 10 minute conversation and, and I was just like, well, that game's over and they lost. And I get back in that, into the house after talking to, talking to Ray and it's a two point game and the Pelicans are back in it. I'm like, what is going on? What is this team doing? What are they, what are they trying to do right now? It was a very bizarre evening last night uh, as a Pels fan. You know, that, 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 you know, and people are saying the same thing about the Lakers. So it's not just a Pelican thing. I've heard the mentality that, well, what the Kings game proved is that, yeah, the Lakers won seven out of eight, but it was mostly against bad teams, and they're really not capable of competing with the better teams. And I understand that you could argue maybe that the Grizzly didn't have a lot to play for, but they're still, you know, a number two seed. I mean, they beat a good team in a game that still meant something last night. Yeah, so I don't know nice that you could buy that. Like they, the way they got the win, especially – uh, coming out flat, play, playing really bad at the beginning, making that comeback, and then having a six-point lead with 10 seconds to play, need, have a 91% free-throw shooter on the free-throw line. If he makes it, the game is over. And yet somehow we find ourselves in overtime and, and having to scratch and claw away to get that win. So it, it, was, just, it was just a very weird night last night where I kind of I just gave up on the game and gave up on the season all at once. And then somehow they won the game, and now I'm like, well, let's see what we got here. Two more games to go. If we pick up a couple of Ws, we might be able to get that six seed. So very, very interesting and weird emotions going on last night where we won the game, but I still felt kind of kind of bad about, about the way it all went down. Okay, so two games left in the regular season. I mean, really, Zion's not ever playing this season, right? I mean, that I'm, I'm kind of there right now. It's incredibly frustrating, everything that's going on with him. We just keep hearing two weeks and two weeks and two weeks. And then you see the man on the court dunking, and you see him working out, and you hear that he's cleared for basketball. Just play. Just play. Are you ever going to play? Like, I love Zion Williamson. I think he's great. I think the only way the Pelicans have a chance to ever be a championship contender is if he's on the team and we were able to work it out. But he just never plays. I'm tired of seeing him on the bench. I'm tired of seeing the camera on his face. I'm tired of seeing him hyped up. Just play. And it just feels like he's never going to play. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm at the end with it. I, I, I've, I've defended it. I, I've given in all I want. I've, I've waited. I've been patient. I'm no longer patient. If, if you can play, you need to play. And if you 
can't play, you need to tell us that and just be shut down for the season. But but we're not going through this every every so often. Where is he going to come back? When's he going to come back? How effective? Just it's just, it's so frustrating to be a Pelicans fan right now, especially with that Zion situation. And and you know you talk to your friends and you're going back and forth with people, and everybody has different opinions. It's it's been really tough to be patient and and kind of defend what's going on there. All right. If you had to list of the options of the teams that you theoretically could play uh, in the play-in and or after that, what, what what would be the team you would most want to play and the team that you would least want to play? I least want to play the Kings. I, I just think it's a, it's a horrific matchup. I think Sabonis is just so good, and we don't have anybody to match up with him. So I do not want to play the Kings. I think that would either be a sweep – or a five-game series in the, in the Kings' favor. I, I wouldn't mind playing the Clippers. I think they did really well. And watching that Clippers game, Brandon Ingram versus Kawhi Leonard, that was a lot of fun. I think Kawhi Leonard is probably a little bit better of a player. But I don't think that much. When Brandon Ingram is on, he can really carry a series. So if we could somehow face the Clippers, I don't know if they ever would get there in the first round. But, man, somehow finding a way to, to play against the Clippers would, would be really good. And, you know, I, just, I, don't, I don't know what we have for Denver. I, I think they're too good. So if we get in that play-in game, it's probably going to be much of what it is when it is last year, but uh, avoiding the Kings in the first round would be my goal. Do you do you think that kind of what do you think is going to happen with the Lakers? Because obviously the Clippers own them, but that doesn't mean they're going to lose to the Suns. Because like we were discussing earlier, are the the Suns play the Clippers and the Lakers here? So are they going to tank? I, I just hate the whole trying to figure out if teams are going to tank or not. Kevin, I'm, 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 being, I'm being honest when I say this, and I, I know it sounds crazy, and it might end up being crazy. I think the Lakers are a contender. I mean, I think they, they are that good. And LeBron James and Anthony Davis, when they're together, I mean, they're, they're borderline unstoppable. And so it, 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 they, they, they played bad. They've had a really rough season. But if LeBron's healthy and they're playing full strength, I, I genuinely think they're a contender for, for not only the West, I think they can win the championship. Now, a lot of things have to happen, and yes, that does sound crazy. They haven't had a championship caliber season, but it only matters what you do in the playoffs. It only matters what's happening right now. I think they're playing really well. I know they lost last night, but I, I like what they're doing. I like the combination of, of LeBron and AD. I mean, I mean, they're, they're two, two what, top ten players in the league. If you got two top ten players, you got a shot. I think they really have a shot to, to make some noise once the playoffs. So you would pick them Theoretically, if they play the Nuggets in the first round, I would. would I would. I would. And I know the Nuggets are good, and Jokic is good. I'm going to pick the upset. I'm going to pick the Lakers. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm picking them to win the championship. I'm just saying if they if they made that run, if they got to the playoffs and made a run, and we sit here in the finals, and it's LeBron James and AD and the Lakers in the finals, why would anybody be shocked about that? Those are two really good players, and and they they made moves. In the in the season, they made moves at the play at the trade deadline to get better. They they re, they really put themselves in position to make this run. And while they struggled and they, they they were out of the playoffs and out of the play in for most of the season, they're not there anymore. They're comfortably in the playoffs right now. And I, I just I, I feel like they're putting it all together at the right time. And none of it matters. You mentioned it last week about the Pelicans. You don't have to pay for the sins of what you did in the past. I mean, that's where the Lakers are right now. They don't have to pay for that. They're going to get it in their first round, and they have a chance to make some noise. I think they're, they, they played it exactly right, and I, I don't know why people are just so quick to count out LeBron James. 
All right, one more thing. If you end up playing this huge game with the Timberwolves, what do you think of that matchup? I don't like it. Uh, I, I think our, I think our only chance would be if they're if they're uh, you know got, got an injury or, or sitting out somebody for whatever reason. I don't like the way we match up against the Timberwolves. I think I think uh, the combination of, of those, those two big guys in the middle and Anthony Edwards is, is a budding superstar. He's soon to be a top five, top ten player in the league. I don't like it at all. I don't think the Pelicans win that game. So it, it, it could end up being a, a very big game. And 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 if I were to have to, if I were putting my heart aside and picking with my head. I, I would pick Minnesota in that game. So it's not, I'm not saying we can't win. It wouldn't wouldn't totally shock me. I think it's it's a it's not a, they're not drastically diff, uh, better than the Pels, but I just think it's a bad matchup. And, and the Timberwolves are are sneaky a sneaky good basketball. All right. Well, let the roller coaster of emotions continue. And I mean, it's not just from day to day. It's from quarter to quarter. It's just unbelievable. Hang in there, sir. All right, Kevin. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL head football coach Michael Desarmo. How are you, sir? I'm good, Kevin. How are you? Well, I'm <laughs> sure you're ready for a holiday weekend. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a good little break, but we got a little work to do today first. All right, so I don't know what was it two or three years ago we had a spring game in the indoor. What percentage right now would you give that to happening tonight? It's probably a pretty good chance, you know. I mean, I'd say you know the weather's about eighty percent chance of thunderstorms, so I'd say it's about eighty percent right now. <laughs> and. Is that a call y'all would probably make mid you know like mid afternoon or what, how how would that work do you think? Yeah, we're going to try to make a call by noon today. Um, just because of logistics, you know, if it's in the stadium, there's certainly a lot more that goes into you know getting the audio and the sound system and the scoreboard and all that stuff ready to go. So just for our people to be able to kind of you know um, you know the band, the cheerleaders, the dance team, all that stuff. So we're going to make a call around noon. Um, the weather's not not looking any better, so you know it's uh it's I was holding on to hope, but it's not looking too good at this point. Now, what was your were you up on a like a like it seemed like y'all when y'all did that a couple of years ago? You had some coaches that were up on the little whatever stand or whatever. Like, what was your mm-hmm. memory of? Were you able to get everything done that you would normally get done with that, or how do you remember that how that went? Yeah, we were. Um, you know, the only thing that it really affects is the kicking game. Um, you know, you can't punt in the indoor uh, because the, the punts hit the ceiling, uh, and even sometimes on kickoffs, um, it'll hit the ceiling. But uh, we were able to. I mean, we had a really productive day. You know, it came down to the last drive, last play of the scrimmage. Um, so it was. Uh, it, it was. We accomplished what we needed to. Um, whenever we did it that year, we. I want to say that was. That was the second year. Uh, that was the 2019 spring. Um, so we'd already kind of had a season together. So 
it wasn't as big of a deal to get the full quote unquote game day operation with guys upstairs and everything. You know, we did put a couple guys up there, but we'd already been through it a year. And, you know, for us, it's kind of a similar situation this year. Well, we talked all spring about the quarterback situation and you know how it works uh, with fans. Uh, Everybody was very, very excited the way Zion played at Texas state. And then they were very, very excited the way Zion played in the bowl game. And if he looks as good in this thing, then they're going to be very excited again. Yeah, I think they will be. You know, Zion's had a had an had an outstanding spring. Um certainly was hoping that that he and Chandler were going to be able to to battle it out, you know, cuz Chandler played well in the back end of the season too, played really well. Um so was hoping that those guys would be able to battle it out this spring and and then I think you'd have a really good feel for for where they are. Um certainly that didn't happen, but uh Zion has done, you know, everything and more. You know, he's exceeded expectations this spring, so you know, for him, he's had a really good 13 day, uh, 14 days now. Um, you know, I hope he goes out and goes scrimmage as well and goes plays well in this scrimmage because he's had a great spring. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased with the progress that he's made. And, you know, certainly I think there's a lot for Cajun fans and for us as coaches and everyone associated with the program to be excited about. Uh, you got three guys that have played really well at, at different spots throughout the season between Ben Chandler and Zion. So that's a that's a great situation to be in. If you were going to say, you know, it's spring football, so we we understand everything that we say or comments you make or analysis we try to give based on what's going on this spring, that it's spring football. We're a long way from the season. But of the things that you were hoping to accomplish, what's the thing that you think y'all have done the best job or like what's given you the most satisfaction from what you've seen in all the practices so far? I think the development of our leadership is the thing that, that I was most looking forward to seeing who was going to step up, who's going to lead. Uh, because every year when you lose those seniors, that's, that's a whole, that's a huge chunk of the puzzle that you got to figure out. So was really proud of that. Um, you know, for us offensively, the red zone, low red zone, high red zone offense, um, is something that we've really worked hard on. I think we've, we've really circled around the the chunk of plays the concepts that we like in that area and we've really solidified that and and have that part of our offense um set where now it's just kind of window dressing it and continuing to mix that up um and then defensively uh coach morgan and the defensive staff have done a good job you know we've worked a lot of two-minute scenarios and that's something that last year um you know our two-minute defense you know we had a couple opportunities to win games in the end and didn't so um, they've gone back to the drawing board, studied a lot of uh, of two-minute defenses, teams that played the most scenarios, had the most success, and we've mixed up what we're doing on defense a little bit. And I, I think those philosophies and um, the execution in those areas has, has gotten much better, and, uh, and we needed to um, in both of those areas as well. I know you can't really do this, but try to put your mind in the, in the like – in the focus of like a being a fan of the team, which you've been a fan of UL football for a long time, even before you play, but try to put yourself in. And when you're, if you're going to watch the thing, who would be the guy or the position group that you would be most excited to see what's going to happen when you see him tonight, having not seen any practices all spring. Yeah. So I think for the, for, for, for a fan, right. That's going, um, 
obviously the quarterback is always what you're looking at, right? You want to see how he plays. I think the receiver group is really important to see some of these young guys that, you know, hopefully they, they play the way they have practiced this spring. And you see some of these young receivers make plays and do some things that you can get excited about uh, because there are going to be a lot of new names in that room. I mean, certainly, you know, Lance, Pete, and Jake are, are, are names that people already know, but you, you got a lot of guys that are competing right now for serious playing time. So hopefully you see that. Um, I think in the secondary, I think our secondary has played just really, really good football so far. Uh, you know, a corner with Trey, Amir, and Caleb, um, you know, and really in a goo has stepped up and had a good spring. But the safety position, I think, is, is as competitive as any with uh, with Skip and uh, Cortland Flowers and Tyrone Lewis Jr., Cam P., um, Key, uh, Key uh, Barnes. Um, you know, I mean, all these guys. We've got, we got a bunch of guys that are competing in those spots, and it's uh, been a competitive group, um, you know, for people that, you know, that, that I guess maybe maybe know it a little bit more than, than maybe just the, the average, you know, football fan. Um, I think our O-line is the thing that I'm the most – I am, as a coach, the most excited about is the depth we've developed there and the continuity we've been able to put together. Um, so I think if you maybe know a little bit more than, than the average fan, I think watching those guys, you'd be really, really excited about the way that they've played this spring as well. Yeah, I think it's possible – that it could go from the biggest question mark to the strength of your football team huh, in one year, the line. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, um, you, you go from one starter there last year and four huge question marks to, uh, you know, four returning starters and, you know, one, I guess, question mark, but it's really, it's it's a great thing for us. We've got three or four guys competing for that last starting spot. So, um you know, sometimes it, it, it takes time to uh, to build it back the way you want. Um, and and I think our coaching staff has done a phenomenal job of getting good players in here and developing the ones that we have and the ones that we've gotten. Obviously, football is a team sport. I try to remind myself and everyone that all the time. But there are two players that, because of the, posi- the importance of the position, and the question marks going into this season of the position that I think it's going to be critical that have big seasons. And one of them, or at least um, really good seasons, and one of them is Mason Narcisse, and another one is Antoine Bayless. So what do you think of that? And tell us what you've seen from those two in camp this spring. Well, I think you're you're right on the money with that, Kevin. Um, You know, certainly when you lose a player like Zion Hill and some of the other guys that we had that – contributed depth right you know Jaquan Nelson um, Andre Landry um, you know and certainly Andre Jones on the edge you know you're losing some good pieces up there Um, Mason Narcisse is a guy whose game has continued to elevate every year since he's been here and he's just played better and better and better Um, he has got to have a great year for us Um, and Mason has kind of stepped up a little bit as a leader in that group on that D-line and he needs to be Um, he knows it he does what he's you know he's a really disciplined kid he works really hard plays really good football. Um, so he's kind of stepped up as a leader in that group. And um, Antoine Bayless is a transfer that, you know, no one probably really knows a whole lot about. But uh, that guy's got a chance to be, I mean, an absolute impact player in this league. Just the things I've seen from him this spring, um, we are, I mean, to say we're excited is an understatement. We are thrilled. Um, the kid loves to practice. He loves to compete. He's physical. Um, you know, and really he's picked it up really, really fast because uh, we do a lot on defense and on offense. But 
Um, he's come through here and he's really learned it well. You know, certainly he's still making mistakes, but we got time to clean that up. But um, his athleticism and his physicality are, uh, I mean, our, our staff is just, we, we, we can't stop talking about how excited we are about Antoine and, and the potential he's got here. So when Marcus Weiser gets back on the field, him and Marcus, like, could that be, you know, I keep saying that's a question mark position, but how much of a strength could those two make that position? Well, you know, the defensive line for us is something where, you know, we've had good play there the last handful of years, and it's got to continue. I mean, that that makes it – you don't have to cover as long for the linebackers. They've got free lanes to run through. Um, That's going to be a huge thing for us. But, I mean, you know, Sonny's had a great spring. Marcus Weiser's had a great spring. Mason, you feel great about. Nigel McGriff has grown up tremendously this offseason and put himself in position to be a really good player for us. You add Antoine to that. Um, Kadarius Miller is a junior college guy who we just got here in January who's had a really good spring as well. Um, And then, you know, Jordan Lawson, I think, is the one that kind of gets forgotten about a little bit um, because he hasn't gone through spring. He had a knee procedure cleaned up at the end of last year. Um, But, I mean, he's cleared for everything but contact now, and Jordan played really good. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that group. You know, you don't replace Zion with one person. Um, you know, he, he was, he was a unique player, man. I mean, just at this place to, you know, finish a half a sack short of the all time lead record. That's pretty impressive. You know, you can't expect one person to go one for one. Um, but I think depth wise, we'll be in as good of a spot as we've ever been in where your ones and your twos or, or you, you, you kind of, it's seamless, you know, and that's, that's the strength of our team is when we develop good depth and we can do that. All righty, sir. Well, we appreciate your time as always, and we look forward to seeing how things are going to look tonight. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Kevin, thank you, man. I always appreciate it. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us Mr. Tom. You know, today is three weeks from the NFL draft. It's also a month from the Kentucky Derby. I know this man is waiting for that. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thanks for having me, bud. Um, All right. So we've been talking a lot about bad weather and how weather's going to – has weather impacted – seems like it normally does. Has, there, has it impacted any of the prep races so far? I think it impacted the Arkansas Derby the most because the Arkansas Derby ended up with a horse that had, that ran real well in New Orleans and, and beat everybody in Arkansas. And they've had a lot of bad weather there. That's the only place it's really been bad. All right. So tell me about uh, what what we or if if anything, what did you learn from last weekend's races? Well, I learned that. Uh, that Forte is probably the best horse out there. Um, one of the reasons I say that is if anybody looks at the race, Forte was running about six lengths behind at the top of the stretch. He got passed by a horse called Mage, M-A-G-E, 
who went right by him, and you normally would say, uh-oh, what I read Ortiz, the jockey did, is he took foot, he took Forte to the outside, and he ground out the last 200 yards and beat this horse by a length. So he's the top horse, yes. Uh, what what happened? In no, no, nothing of any consequence in the other ones. Well, our, our Angel of Empire won and won easily in the Arkansas Derby. I don't see anybody but that horse out of Arkansas. So that's the way it stands there. I, no point in talking about any horses out of Arkansas except that horse. Now, in years past, you've talked a little bit about uh, the foreign contingent. What what, what is that going to look like this year? The, the horse that won at Medellin, the Japanese horse, and I don't have his hand, his name right offhand, because it's kind of hard to announce. But he earned enough points to come, and I, I guarantee you he'll be there. And and people that discount Japanese horses, they they need to relook at the form because the Japanese horse that won at Medellin in the World Cup. He, he, if you look at the form, he definitely looked like he could win the World Cup, and he did. He paid about forty dollars. And so um, this weekend, um, what, 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 you know, this is like—is this the most high-profile weekend of all the Kentucky prep? I, I would say so because tomorrow opens, in my opinion, and in my opinion only, the spring meet at Keeneland. That's in Lexington. The spring meet in Kingland opens tomorrow, and that is the best meet in all of racing outside of Saratoga and maybe Del Mar. So you'll see a lot of two-year-olds run in, 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 in Keeneland. They'll run two-year-olds in four-and-a-half furlong races. But this is the thing. Every trainer of note that has good horses will show up at Keeneland for this month-and-a-half meet. Okay, before Churchill. So, Saturday, we're running the, um, we're going to run the, the bluegrass on Saturday. As far as I can see in the bluegrass, I, I have nobody to really recommend in there except a couple of trainers. Um, the, the horses don't make any sense to me. They might win. They might do real well. And do something, but I can't tell you right now because they don't have enough experience. Well, what about what 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 race this weekend is the most interesting then in terms oh, of the Derby? The Santa Anita Derby, absolutely. The Santa Anita Derby has been the pathway to the Derby to the Kentucky Derby for the past ten years. They've won seven out of ten, I think. Uh, the horse to look at. And the Santa Anita Derby is the horse that won the San Philippi. And his name is uh, Practical Move. The Derby goes off at about 5.30 our time. Um, Practical Move by by a a trainer named Tim Yachtin. He's the best horse in there, but he's not the only good horse. Another one is called National Treasure. Used to be a Baffert horse, now trained by Tim Yachtin. Now, National Treasure has been talked about to be over and over again this year, but he has not run. He has not run a lot. So I'm, I'm not too sure how, how, how fit he is. 
And the other horse in the Santa Anita Derby is called Go, like our Go, G-E-A-U-X, Go Rocket Ride. And this horse, he's sitting on a big race. But whether he'll do it at Santa Anita or not. But all I have to say is that the Wood Memorial in New York at Aqueduct has not been a good indicator of Kentucky Derby champions for the past 15 years. But Santa Anita, go rocket ride, first practical move, and national treasure. Those three horses are probably the best three horses to look at. All right, so what is your explanation as to why so many of the better horses go to Santa Anita? I mean, is it just a – I mean, what's what's the reason behind that? The reason is the weather. I mean, I mean, aside from this year, was a lot of rain, right? And that, that's a problem. But it's the weather. I mean, in New York, you don't get a chance to train. And then when you train down in Florida and run the Florida Derby and come back to New York or whatever, they don't do it right away. They don't come back to New York. They go to Keeneland. And they don't race in the Derby anymore. The Derby horses are going to be different in and bluegrass than they were at Florida Derby. They're not going to run. But that wasn't the case 20 and 30 years ago, no, was it? No, but So, I mean, so the horses are softer now, too, than they were? No, I don't think that's the case at all. I think that the training is different. We do Horses do different things now than they did 20 years ago. And I think that with the weather favoring California and – the next thing to know is Bob Baffert. <laughs> He's in California. Yeah. His, his main goal every year is to prepare 15 horses to run in the Kentucky Derby. That's his goal. But this year he can't run. This is his last year that he can't run horses. But watch the Preakness and the Belmont because he's going to load up both of them if he can. He, he'll, he'll be after Forte. If Forte wins the Derby, everybody's saying, oh, he's going to win the Triple Crown. That's nonsense. I don't think that horse can win the Triple Crown. His speed figures are just not fast enough. But he's the best right now of that lot we're looking at. That's all I can say about that. So you're saying this year it's not going to be a Santa Anita horse that's going to win the Derby as of now? I think so. I think Practical Move has a chance. Uh, but Forte is a better horse, but we'll see. You know, it just I just I need to see the Santa Anita Derby Saturday before I could really think about what's going to happen. I need to find out. I don't think the Bluegrass is going to produce a winner, but they'll produce a good horse. And I don't think the Woods going to produce a Derby winner, but probably a good horse will come out of it. Again, I don't know. Practical move is a horse I like personally, and I'll watch it him on Saturday. That's all. So, so far, and again, we'll know more, like yeah. you said, after you see Santa Anita. So far, right. it seems like this year it's a little less up in the air than what you were talking a year ago. And, and the only reason it's up in the air, Kevin, is because these horses are not fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's like going to a track meet and watching somebody run an 11-second 100 meters. They're not fast. And, and Forte is faster than the lot we've been looking at. Practical move is faster than the lot we've been looking at. 
but they're not fast. And, and unless somebody pops up and, and does something spectacular, you know, we're just not looking at an overly precocious three-year-old pack. That's all. All right. Well, we'll talk next week and see what happens uh, at Santa Anita. Appreciate your time as always, sir. Uh, let me tell you, Kevin, I'll be in California on next Thursday, following Thursday. But if if we want to do it then, that's fine. If you want to do it before, then that's okay. All, right. All righty. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Last chance to get in today if you would like to. 706-0111-706-0111. So we don't know definitely, but it sounds like from today's show that probably or a good chance the Cajun spring game or whatever you want to call it. I I hate that. Like uh, We've called it the spring game forever, okay? But it's not really a game, but I, I just feel like that's the only thing. That's what people know it as, so I just kind of say that sometimes still, the spring game. But any uh, Vermillion, White, whatever you want to call it, it looks sounds like that's going to be indoors tonight. So uh, over the weekend, if you're a big horse racing person, obviously you'll be following the Santa Anita Derby that we just heard about. And then there's Brian Branch. I just... I'm noticed that Dawson is not nearly as rattled by the whole Brian Branch concept <laughs> as me. Why? Why? Why is that? You you don't seem rattled at all by Brian Branch. I'm not. I just. It's hard for me to get rattled about a prospective player that we may or may not ever even see or hear about on the Saints. Like I just. That my anxiety doesn't really work that way. I'm not worried. Like if we if we draft him, then I'll start to consider the the consequences. Yeah, but, but okay, but again, I, I don't want to get caught off guard. And so See, I, I don't think, mind as much. I think there was a chance we were going to get caught off guard had Joey, Joey not brought this. it up because I I mentioned safety, but I really have I mentioned his name. It's not the first time we mentioned his name, but we haven't really took a deep dive into whether we should do this or not. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I do think, like, I I don't have a ton of confidence in Marcus May, and I don't have all of my confidence in Tyron Matthew, although I feel better about him than Marcus May. So I would be okay with the idea. It's just I think there's going to be more glaring opportunities at that select. I won't say needs because I don't want to call them needs because, again, the Saints have kind of shored up most of the – Needs. They're more like wants now. So I just think it's going to be it's going to be hard for that to be the best option at 29. But it's possible that it is because if again we don't know what other teams are going to do from one to 28. Now in the off season, they have signed 
all these safeties. Now, none of them are guys that, oh, that guy might be a starter. Like, none of them are like, well, that guy might be a starter. None of them. But they're all veteran-type guys who have played in the league, kind of like Evans was, and so might be able to give you some decent depth at that position. Um, And so I guess you could say that it's not a need unless you just don't buy any of those guys. I mean, it's possible that we just don't buy any of them. And I, I think a lot of people don't. Maybe the, you know, maybe this maybe the Saints coaching staff does, but if not, then I could I could be talked into safety being a need is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of saying too. It wouldn't it wouldn't be a stretch for me, but it's just there's just other options. Like, and I I don't and I'm kind of like you. Like, I always enjoy and I look when I the C.J. Gardner Johnson pick was one of the the few picks that I was very invested in and I was very excited. I had seen him play a lot and I was excited about the pick when it happened. Yes, but he was also a third round pick. It wasn't a first-round pick. So it will be more difficult for me to get that excited about taking a safety in the first round. It just will. And But, but again, there were some people that had late first rounds, early second-round grades on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson when they picked him. Which I, is, I remember thinking he was a steal. Which, yeah, that's I was going to say that's part of the reason I was so excited because I yeah. felt like the value at the spot you got him at was kind of something you couldn't pass up. And so I'm I'm thinking that if the Saints don't pick him, and to Joey's point, if the Eagles don't pick him because they just lost Chauncey Garner Johnson too, um, he might be in the last of the second round. I mean, safety is not really a first round position. Very much like running backs has become not really a first round position. And by the way, we've mentioned this before, but since we brought up Chauncey Garner Johnson, the people who are really down on the Saints for getting rid of him, and they took a lot of criticism for that. Um, he's already on another team. Like, this guy might play – well, if he plays 10 years in a league, it might be with six or five or six, seven different teams. Like, and he's already trashing the Eagles. Like, what is wrong with that guy? Well, that's also kind of something that's made me sit back and, and say maybe that is why he fell to the Saints, right? Teams that got him in interviews, some of them probably thought really liked him as a player and talked to him and maybe thought, I just don't know if he's going to work in our locker room. And so that might be part of the reason you got him in the first place. Yeah, and, and and again, he played with a chip on his shoulder the first couple of years, which worked. I mean, it was good, but he's just not – I mean, he's just a guy that, man, he would wear on you thin. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And, look, he's helped – he helped the Saints have a good defense, and they moved on from him, and it is what it is. And, and, and now the Eagles, after one year, moved on for him. Now, he kind of fits in – to the Lions because they need somebody with a chip on their shoulder on defense the way they play defense. And Dan Campbell knows him, so it's yeah. not like he's a guy who does. But, I mean, that Lions defense is getting more and more interesting to me because you bring in Chauncey. Tracy Walker missed most of last season, UL guy who has been a pretty good player for them when he's been healthy. They got a couple of things to figure out, I think, in the front seven, but like they're getting more intriguing, and if the offense plays the way it did last year, they're already going to be pretty good on offense. And like we've mentioned – the NFC North is way more open than it's been in years past. Now that Green Bay is looking like, you know, they might have quarterback change. And 
Minnesota kind of had a historically lucky season the way that they won the games that they won. So I, I think Detroit right now for me is the favorite in the NFC North. If you buy the rumor mill, the Vikings supposedly, if you buy the rumor mill, or one of the dark horse might pick a quarterback in the first round teams. Like, yeah, I mean, because you wonder they they've been in the. It's it's the area we talked about. When you're not elite at quarterback, you have to be elite everywhere else. And Kirk Cousins gets you to a point, but you have to put elite talent around him, and it's just really hard to do it. You can like Kansas City has so much more margin for error everywhere else when they have Mahomes than the Vikings do. And last year they won. It was unbelievable. You talk about regression to the mean. There's no way they would ever win that many close games again this year. No. So they have to be better overall than they were last year to even come close to winning the same number of games. That's a tough spot to be in. Absolutely. And so uh, they're going to be a tough team to predict, but that's, you know, that's August. We're going to have to do that. But I guess it wouldn't shock. Again, if you believe by the rumor, mirror, it's not going to be shocking if they pick a quarterback. It's now not going to be shocking if the Ravens pick a quarterback. Uh, I don't know if there are too many others on that list in that in that middle. I guess the Yucks. I guess if the Yucks pick a if the Yucks pick Hendon Hooker, I don't know that it should shock anyone either. So because they don't really have a future one either. All right, y'all have a nice and safe holiday weekend.